One person wrote, I survived the abuse, but sometimes I wonder, can I survive the healing? Hi, I'm Sherry Todd, a former DJ, now podcaster. Every week, I hope to take you on an adventure that informs, inspires, and starts conversations. I want to get honest, and I want to get to the heart of life and love. There's going to be good days, bad days, good shows, bad shows, and just like life, we have to figure it out. And I want to figure it out loud. Welcome to Sherry. Welcome to Sherry. I'm Sherry Todd. First, let me get this exclaimer out of the way. I'm not a therapist or a psychiatrist. I'm a survivor of child sexual abuse, sharing my journey in hopes of healing. The issues I may talk about are from research and personal experience and may be a trigger for some. So please take all that into account as you listen. Thank you for tuning in to part three of my eight-part series, Healing from Child Sexual Abuse. In part one, we dealt with the damage from child sexual abuse. In part two, I talked about how we coped. And here in part three, I'm going to talk about surviving the healing. The surviving skills for healing can be hard. Healing is demanding work. It disrupts your old ways of coping and brings up deep pain, fear, and grief and requires that you make profound changes in your life. When you're in the middle of healing from child sexual abuse, it is especially important to be kind to yourself. Yet a common side effect of child sexual abuse is insensitivity to our own needs and a lack of awareness about self-care. So one of the first challenges we face in healing is the need to develop a new survival skill, how to nurture ourselves. Often survivors want to know how far along they are in the healing process. One way to find out is to ask yourself, what are you doing to take care of yourself? This is a good indicator of healing. Ask yourself, am I gentle with myself when I make a mistake? Can I relax and take breaks from the intensity of healing? Am I able to do things I enjoy? Am I getting enough sleep and eating healthy? Am I part of a community of people who love and support one another? Can I recognize that things are going well in my life? Are there things I'm doing that I feel proud of? When you can answer yes to most of these questions or are making progress in that direction, you are well on your way to healing. However, if you're at the beginning of the healing process, you may not be able to say yes to a single question. Many survivors have been too busy running, coping, and just getting by to consider how best to nurture themselves. But even if you're just starting out, you can take small steps towards self-care. One way to begin is to take a gentle attitude toward the process of healing itself. Forcing yourself doesn't promote healing. It impedes it. It's just as important to learn to relax, to laugh, to eat well, to sleep, and to enjoy everyday moments as it is to struggle with the shame, the grief, and to express outrage. You need quiet time for processing and gathering your strengths. If you're at the beginning of the healing process and your life is full of painful emotions, memories, and crisis, the idea of pacing yourself, taking breaks, or healing over time may seem beside the point. 
You feel terrible now and you want the pain to go away, but healing from sexual abuse is not a short-term deal. It's a gradual process rooted in small daily steps. You have to settle in for the long haul and you have to learn to live your life while you're healing. If you're a survivor who has become isolated, you need to develop a support system, a network of people who help you make it through life and the demanding work of healing. They give you practical support. They bring over a meal, provide care for your children, drive you to a doctor's appointment, or help you find a new place to live. They offer mental support, suggesting books and resources that might help you, talking over strategies and plans. They provide emotional support. They sit with you when you cry, comfort you when you feel down. And they give you spiritual support, inspiring you and giving you hope. Now that you're healing, it's essential to structure your life so that you are in contact with people who respect you, understand you, and take you seriously. This is what you didn't have as a child and what you need now. If you're just beginning to reach out, start with just one person. Having even one person to confide in can radically change your experience. Another one of the survival skills for healing is learning to ask for help. A support system is only effective when you use it. This may sound obvious, but it's not always easy to do. People who grow up in abusive families often believe they have to do everything themselves or that they deserve assistance only in a dire emergency. You may be afraid to ask for help because it means giving up control, depending on someone else, admitting weakness, or risking rejection. Once you acknowledge that you need and deserve help, you have to take the big leap and ask. Although there are times that you may not get what you want, support sometimes shows up in unexpected ways and from unexpected resources. When you do ask for help, pay attention to the reactions you get. Your request may be treated respectfully or may be critical. If you're constantly getting negative responses, you may be asking the wrong person, someone who is too busy, or who is not interested in this kind of relationship with you. Or you may be asking in the wrong way, like not being direct or clear, not being specific enough, or asking for too much at once. See what you can learn from your attempts, then try again. Another survival skill for healing is giving. Even if this may be a time in your life when your needs are especially strong, don't forget that you have things of value to offer others. Sometimes when you're feeling especially vulnerable, sad, depressed, or hopeless, it can be a great relief to focus on someone else's needs. Attending to others reminds us of our strengths and validates our self-worth. When you help someone, you're temporarily lifted out of your own pain and then to a meaningful connection with another person. And don't forget the value of counseling. For many survivors, a skilled therapist is an important part of their support system. A good counselor is a compassionate witness to your healing, notes the terrain, and can guide you through the process by offering consistent support, encouragement, hope, information, and insight. A counselor provides a safe relationship which you can grow. 
A counselor provides a safe place to spill the secrets and pain and the hopes that you've been hiding inside. And with that sharing, a transformation takes place. In a later episode, we'll talk more about working with a counselor. Now, while you're healing, unfortunately, you may have to deal with panic. Fear is a normal part of life and the healing process. The more you become familiar with it, the less distressing it will be. But in the beginning of the healing process, there may be times when you feel overwhelmed by fear. Panic is a fear that has spiraled out of control. You feel panic when you get scared by your own emotions and don't have the skills to calm yourself down or when you're trying like crazy to suppress feelings or memories. Sometimes it comes when the past intrudes into the present and it feels like it's happening right now. Although panic may seem to come out of the blue, there's always a trigger. Often, it's a reminder of abuse that you aren't consciously aware of. When you're in a state of panic, you're usually not aware of those connections. You simply feel out of control, your heart is racing, your breathing speeds up. You may break into a sweat, want to run, or feel as if your body is going to explode. Even your vision can change. You might fear that you're going crazy and not understanding what's happening only makes things worse. When you're extremely frightened, expressing your feelings can sometimes free you from your fear, but only if you're in a setting that's safe. A therapy group can be a good place to get in touch with deeply buried feelings. If you decide it isn't a good time to express or act on your feelings, or if you're expressing your feelings escalates into panic, take steps to calm yourself down. Of course, the most effective skill to deal with panic is to catch it early. Once panic runs out of control, it's more difficult to manage, but at least you can try to keep yourself focused in a positive direction so you don't hurt yourself or others. The important thing in calming down is to do whatever works for you as long as it's safe, even if it seems silly or embarrassing. Through trial and error, you can develop a list of things that help. Try including activities that engage as many of the senses as possible, like feeling, hearing, sight, taste, smell. And it's important to reach out to others, even if it's the last thing you want to do. Because you don't think clearly when you're in a panic, make a list in a calm moment and keep it handy. If it's all written out ahead of time, you only have to pick it up and start at the top and work your way down. A simple panic list might be like this. Things to do when I'm desperate. Number one, breathe. Number two, look around at my environment, acknowledge where I am and what is actually happening. Number three, put on a relaxation tape. Number four, get in my rocking chair. Number five, call Natalie. Number six, call Vicki if Natalie's not home. Number seven, pet my cat. Number eight, take a hot bath. Number nine, meditate, etc., etc., and keep going. Your list will be different and will probably change over time. If you get all the way to the bottom of your list and you still don't feel better, just start again at the top. Now, creating a safe place is a good survivor skill to help with healing. It's good to create a safe place in your home somewhere you can go when you're scared or in a panic. Your safe place may be a window seat on the stairway, your bed or your favorite reading chair, 
or it might be a hiding place where you know no one can find you. Make a commitment to yourself that if you start to feel out of control and afraid of what you might do, go to that place and stay there, breathing one breath at a time until the feeling passes. Make an arrangement with yourself that as long as you're in that place, you won't hurt yourself or anyone else. You'll be safe. Sometimes changing your environment can bring you out of a panic. This can be simple as leaving your bedroom and walking into the kitchen to make tea, or you can leave your house and take a walk down the block, or you can go for a swim or just take a bath or shower. Almost anything that works is fair game when you're dealing with panic, but there are a few things you should avoid whenever possible. Don't enter stressful or dangerous situations. Stay off the road. Don't abuse alcohol or drugs. Avoid making important decisions unless they're essential for your safety. Don't hurt yourself or anyone else. Avoid people who aren't safe or trustworthy. Now, when you finally get to the other side of a panic attack, relax and rest. Such emotional intensity is exhausting and you need to replenish your energy. When you feel balanced again, try to determine what triggered the panic. The following questions might help. What was the last thing you remembered before you felt overwhelmed? Where were you? Who were you with? Was there anything disturbing that happened to you in the last day or two? Was there a glimmer of any other feelings before you lost touch with yourself? Are you under any unusual stresses, time pressures, deadlines, money pressures? Are there thoughts that you quickly pushed away because they were uncomfortable? Were there old familiar ones? Do any of these things remind you of your abuse in any way? Sometimes questions like these can help you identify what led to the panic attack. It may take a series of episodes before you can pinpoint the source, but it's worth the work. Once you discover the circumstances that trigger feelings of panic, self-hate, or despair, then you can separate them and deal with them more effectively. Now, this is the most important survival skill for healing, self-care. Learning to nurture yourself is critical not only in a time of crisis, it's an important aspect of everyday life. Like many survivors, you may believe that you deserve to take care of yourself only when your life is absolutely falling apart, and maybe not even then. But this isn't so. With intention and practice, tending to your emotional needs can become a regular daily habit like brushing your teeth. Self-care is the core of healing. It's a way that you can demonstrate love and respect for the child you were, the adult that you are now, and the person you are becoming. There are a million ways to nurture yourself. If you love sushi, go out and have sushi. If you love movies and love to buy books, do both. Go away on the weekends to places you love. Get a massage, take a lot of hot baths, exercise more. If that's what you love, eat a good breakfast. Try to look after yourself with healthy foods. If you love to write, go and write. Make yourself a big cup of tea and curl up with a good magazine. Work in your garden. Go out and buy yourself some clothes. Try to get into nature and walk and hike and ski as often as you can. 
whatever you love to do, get back to nurturing yourself, loving yourself. And if self-care is something that's so unfamiliar to you, try taking care of yourself with one little thing a day. Just one thing. Pick something that you love. Do it for yourself. Every day, take one step towards self-care. So those are a few of the survival skills for healing. Everything I spoke about and so much more can be found in the book, The Courage to Heal by Ellen Bass and Laura Davis. I highly recommend this book for survivors of child sexual abuse, including male survivors. It's available on Amazon. On the next episode, and I touched on this a little bit, is how the support of a skilled counselor can be an asset with healing. So on the next Sherapy, part four of healing from child sexual abuse is about working with a counselor. And some of the things I'll talk about is why some survivors avoid counseling, how to find a good counselor, and if your current one is doing more harm than good. Now, if you feel you might be in crisis and need someone to talk to, call 800-656-HOPE. 800-656-H-O-P-E. It's free and confidential. If you have any thoughts or questions, my email address is podcast at sherrybwithsherrytodd.com. I'd like to hear what you think of this series. Don't forget to follow on Facebook or Instagram. And if you haven't already, please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. I want to thank you for taking the time to listen to Sherrybwith. And always remember to embrace your voice. See you, bye. You can find Sherapy with Sherry Todd in your iTunes, Spotify, Anchor, or other favorite podcast apps. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode.